Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour comedy, followed by a 30-minute western. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. In an average town, Springfield, on an average street, Maple, lives an average American family, the Hendersons. The husband, Jim, is very much in love with his wife, Margaret. And they're both quite fond of their three children, Betty, Bud, and Kathleen. Which, I should say, is an average way for parents to feel. On this particular morning, which is an average sort of day, the Hendersons are ready for an average sort of meal breakfast. Well, they're supposed to be ready, but you know how it is. The average mother calls... Jim, your breakfast is on the table. And the average answer is... Kathleen, come in and start your breakfast. Oh, breakfast. Don't you understand, Mother? This is a crisis. How can I go to school without my skates? Eat your breakfast, dear, and we'll look for the skates later. Oh, but I have looked for them. I've looked just every place. They simply varnished. Vanished, Kathy. Did you look in the hall under the telephone table? Mother, that's practically the first place I looked. Well, how about the service port? They aren't there. They aren't anywhere. Oh, what am I going to do? You're going to eat your breakfast. I'll run out to the garage and see if you left them there. And don't use too much sugar on your cereal. Look way in the back, Mother, near the magazine. Oatmeal. That's all you ever get around here is oatmeal. How many times have I asked you not to leave your skates on the stairs? Oh, is that where they were? Oh, oh golly. I looked simply everywhere and I couldn't find them. Good morning, dear. Did you have a nice... Jim! What did you do to your chin? I came down the stairs on it. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, Jim, your poor chin. Isn't it wonderful, Mother? Daddy fell down the stairs and found my skates. I did not fall down the stairs. Please, Jim, hold still. How can I fix your chin? I will chin not have you... that child telling people I fell down the stairs. I tripped over a confounded skates. Is that the only place she can find to leave them? Well, she's very sorry, dear, aren't you, Kathy? Hmm? Oh, sure. Um, Daddy. Not now, Kathy. Have some coffee, Jim. It'll make you feel better. Other people have children and they have skates. But other people have discipline in their homes, old-fashioned discipline. The kind of discipline we had in my home when I was a boy. There was a place for everything and Mom, everything in it. Hey, Mom. I'm sorry, dear. We'll try to do better. What is it, Bud? I can't find my other shoe. Where'd you put it? Look under the dresser. Okay. Is that where you generally put his other shoe? Sometimes. Mm. How do you want your eggs this morning, dear? Daddy, oh, I, don't care. I was just wondering. Kathy, this is a very bad time to bother your father. We'd better let it go for a while. Uh, shall I scramble them, Jim? Oh, yeah, but it's important, a... Mother. It's the most important thing in my life. What is? It's really nothing, dear. All it's... right, Kathy, stop looking like Ingrid Bergman and tell me what it is. <laughs> I need two dollars, Daddy. 
I'm desperate. Two dollars? What for? Wings. What did she say, Margaret? She said wings. That's what I thought. <laughs> Why does she need wings? I have to be an angel. I told them I would. I just have to be. And they cost two dollars. It's the school play, dear. Kathleen said she'd be an angel. Well, I can see they're certainly not casting to type. <laughs> uh, Kathy, you get an allowance, don't you? If you can call it that, a quarter. Hmm. When I was nine years old, I had to work for every penny I got. I couldn't walk up to my father and say, I want two dollars for wings. Were you an angel? I most certainly was not. Well, then, you didn't need wings. But I promised I'd be an angel. All right, then find a way to sprout wings without my two dollars. Oh, but, Daddy, I'll be just ruined. Oh, Mother, can't We won't you... discuss it any further, Kathy. Your father knows best. How will I face them without wings? They were counting on me. Morning, everybody. How's it? What happened to the squirt? Oh, just a minor tragedy. Drink your orange juice, bud. Say, Dad, I was just thinking... Bud, not now. Let your father read the paper. But I was just going to tell not him about... Not now, dear, please. Well, but I have to. Gosh, how much time have I got left? You don't mind if I get in on this, do you? How much time for what? Well, Dad, we're going on a picnic tomorrow. A whole bunch of us. Fine, have a good time. He can go on picnics, and I can't even have wings. Mm. You treat me like an orphan around here. Nobody even loves me. Oh, Kathy, stop being dramatic. Everyone loves you. Sure, but not two dollars worth. <laughs> Kathleen, your brother's not asking for two dollars. Your brother's not asking for anything. Except permission to use the car. Except permission to use... <laughs> Except what? Well, well, that's what I was going to ask you about. You see, we're... We're all going out in the country, and I told everybody... You're not going to use the car. Oh, but, Dad, if I don't, how am I going to go? You have a bicycle, haven't you? <laughs> when I was your age, I was traveling all over the state on my bicycle. With a girl? How can I... How can I take a girl on a bicycle? Jim, I just thought One moment, that... Margaret. James Henderson, Jr., you are 15 years of age, and young men 15 years of age do not go traipsing around the country with girls in my car. But everybody else does, Dad. I mean, they get to use their father's car. Joe Phillips uses his father's car, and he's two months younger than I am. I wouldn't care if he was three months younger and had wings. <laughs> you may not have the car. But you know your father doesn't approve of children driving automobiles. Children? If I want the car, I'm too young. If I want to go to the circus, I'm too old. I wish somebody around here would decide how old I am. We've decided you're too young. Now, that'll be all of that. I'll be an outcast. That's what I'll be. I'll be poisoned with every hunk of date bait in the school. <laughs> Me and a bicycle. But you better eat your eggs before they get ice cold. What a time to think about eggs. Dad, how would it be if no. I... No. But I was just going to... No. But you don't even know... No. Whatever it is, no. Oh, fine. The way I'm treated around here, you'd think I was an orphan. Copycat. I said it first. Quiet, squirt. Kathy, leave your brother alone and finish your milk. But I did say it first, didn't I, Daddy? I said it first and Bud heard me, and he's an old copycat. I am not. I wasn't even listening to you. You were, too. You heard me say it, and then you said it, and you're an old copycat. I am not. You are so. I am not. You are so. Quiet, both of you, quiet. Oh, Margaret, why can't we ever have a peaceful breakfast in this house? I'm sorry. I don't yeah. think it's asking an awful lot. When I was a boy, we had wonderful breakfasts, quiet breakfasts, peaceful breakfasts. We had respect for our elders. Sure, but you didn't have a kid sister like the brat. I'm not 
a brat. You're a brat if I ever saw one. I am not. You are so. I am not. You are so. Quiet! Good morning, Mother. Good morning, Father. What's the matter with her? I know. I was looking out the window at a bird. It was sitting on an egg. How'd you ever tear yourself away? Dear Bud, such a lovable little moron. Betty, dear, you sound so strange this morning. Is anything wrong? Wrong? Oh, Mother, how can you even say that? In this lovely, wonderful world, how could anything be wrong? Hey, Pop, you better hide your wallet. This one's gonna be a pip. <laughs> Father, if you don't do something about Betty, that child... Betty, if you don't mind, I believe I can manage my family without your assistance. Kathy? Yes, Daddy? As your father, I'm quite capable of handling my own financial affairs. It may be a strain, but I can manage Yes, Daddy. And I would prefer that even in moments of stress, you refrain from addressing me as Hey Pop. <laughs> okay, Daddy. Finally, I believe I am as well qualified as you to recognize the devious routes employed by your sister in leading up to the announcement that she needs a new dress. That's telling her, Pop. What? I mean, Daddy. <laughs> You're all very amusing, but I don't need a new dress. Dear, are you sure you feel all right? I feel fine. Betty, you... You don't want any money? No, Father. Why? You don't want to borrow the car? Of course not. Well, <laughs> at least there's one sensible child in this family. Betty, I'm proud of you. Thank you, Father. Yes, sir. What this country needs is more children who leave their fathers alone at the breakfast table. I think I'll have another cup of coffee, Margaret. All right, dear. There you are. Thank you. Well, Betty, what's the good word in your little world? Oh, just the most wonderful thing has happened, Father. I'm going to be married. Oh, yeah. Yes. Hold your eyes up over your head quickly, Bud. Oh. Hold on the back. What for? What Don't stand there. Do something. Do you want him choked to death? Jim. I'm all right. You're going to be fine, Ned. Just fine. Well, stop beating me on the back or I'll never be all right. Oh, but Mother told me... I did me... not tell you to break your father's spine. Well, you told me to pound him. With your hand, not your books. <laughs> oh. Bud, you're going to be late for school. I get it. Come on, Kathy. Come on, where? You're going to school. I don't have to leave for ten minutes. Oh, that's what you think. Hey, stop pulling me, you brute. See I you have later, to get everybody. my Father! <laughs> All right, Betty. Now, uh, what was that newsy little item you dropped into the middle of my coffee? You? Oh, you mean about getting married. Isn't it wonderful? Margaret, did you know anything about this? Not a word, Jim. I still don't. Betty, you're joking, aren't you? Joking? Mother, do you think I joke about the most sacred thing in a woman's life? Jim, she isn't joking. <laughs> Betty, you uh, wouldn't mind giving us a little more information, would you? You know, just in case we want to get in touch with you later. I don't know what you mean, Father. Well, just for start, who is it? Who's who? The boy, my prospective son-in-law. What's his name? Billy. He's wonderful. Oh, Betty, not Billy Smith. Just wonderful. Which one is he? Oh, you know, Jim, the one who hates football players, the one Betty thinks is aesthetic. Aesthetic? <laughs> the one I think it is, that's a new way of spelling anemic. <laughs> Billy's delicate. You have to be delicate if you have a beautiful soul. 
Well, that's exactly what this family needs, somebody with a beautiful soul. <laughs> Margaret, I have to get down to the office. Explain to Betty that she'll be happier if she waits. Make certain, you know, the usual woman-to-woman talk. All right, dear. Oh, you don't have to worry about us, Father. Billy and I talked it all over last night, and we both decided against a hasty marriage. We intend to wait. That's fine. I'll be home at the usual time, dear. All right, Jim. We're if not going ne- to be married until Saturday. If you... Ne- <laughs> Saturday? Uh-huh. Saturday night. We were going to make it in the afternoon, but we decided to go to the basketball game first. <laughs> this is an emergency. Put your hat down. I'll put more than my hat down. Betty, this is the most ridiculous piece of conversation I've ever heard. Father, you mean you don't approve? Now, there's the first intelligent remark you've made since you got up. I most decidedly don't approve. But I don't understand. You've always liked Billy's father. You mean Hector Smith? Of course I like Hector Smith. He's one of my best clients. Why don't you marry him? But he is married. Betty, your father and I have always thought Just a moment, you... Margaret. I'll handle this. Betty, you're 17 years of age. You're in your first year at the university. You will not marry Billy Smith or anyone else until after your graduation. That's final. Graduation? But that's three and a half years. I'll be over 21. Why, why, the best years of my life will be gone. Well, darling, we can always have Bud push you up to the altar in a wheelchair. (laughs) You're laughing at me, and I think you're horrid. You're just old-fashioned, both of you. You've forgotten what it is to be young and in love. You don't seem to understand that things are different now. Oh, Betty, nothing's any different. Things like that don't change. They do, too. Things change all the time. People change, customs change, everything changes, only you won't admit it. Oh, darling, why don't you listen to your father? Things are no different now than they were when we were your age. The young people wore different clothes and they sang different songs, but fundamentally they were the same, and even then boys and girls didn't rush headlong into marriage. Not until they were ready for it. You bet they didn't. They listened to their fathers. They were willing to benefit from a lifetime of experience. Why, when I was courting your mother, I remember when... How old were you when you married father? Well, I... Yes, mother. I was 17. But that was different. Why? Well, because things were different in those days. The the people were different. The times were different. You said they weren't. Well, they were. Uh, Some of them were. Some of them weren't, and some of them were. Only the ones that weren't were more than the... uh, Margaret... Betty, um, don't you think it would be a nice idea if Billy and his family were to have dinner with us tonight? Oh, Mother, would you? Really? Margaret, I don't want the Smiths for dinner tonight or any other night. I think the idea of a dinner for the Smiths is not only ridiculous, but unnecessary. I forbid the marriage, and that's that. Oh, Jim, you know you like having people in for dinner. The Smiths are very pleasant, and you might be able to sell Hector some more insurance. Yeah, that's right. I might have that. <laughs> but look, Margaret, I'm going to have a tough day at the office. I couldn't take a dinner tonight. Let's make it next week. Uh, next month. Dear, we can't put it off for even a day. I'll call the Smiths and see if they can make it. Shall I tell them dinner will be at 7.30? 7.30? What's the matter with 6 o'clock? I'll be starved by 7.30. Jim, it just isn't done. Well, it's going to be done tonight. We'll have dinner at 6. I'll ask them to be prompt, dear, at 7.30. <laughs> and, and, Mother, can we dress? I mean, can I wear my new dinner gown? Can I, Mother? Oh, please, can I? Betty, there will be no dressing for dinner. But, Father, I... Mother, please. I'm sorry, darling. You know, I never contradict your father. After all, your father knows best.
It's been a long day for the Hendersons. The specter of a fair young child, married and gone before her time, has hung like a pall throughout the day. It would have, that is, if the Hendersons hadn't been so busy. Jim, you see, had a hectic day at the office. Six? Why, you robber, how about the two strokes in back of that tree? And don't tell me those snakes followed you over from the last hole. <clears throat> at the office. Bud has been involved in the intricacies of a higher education. But Margie, it's healthful riding on a bicycle. Why, look at all the fresh air you'll get in, and the beautiful muscles. We could even... Margie? Hello, Margie? Hello? Kathy has been involved in serious plans for the future. What do you mean they don't take girls in the Foreign Legion? I'll bet they do, especially without wings. You just wait, you'll see. Margaret? Well, Margaret has been very busy cooking an extra special dinner for the Smiths. And if there's one thing Margaret can do, it's cook. Yes, sir, Margaret, if there's one thing you can do, it's cook. That's what I always say. You see? Now we can proceed. Uh, proceed. Thank you, Hector. Would you care for another piece of pie? Margaret, please. I've already had two helpings. You have three. Kathy. (laughs) Uh, How about another cup of coffee, Heck? Nothing like a cup of Margaret's piping hot coffee. Well, if you insist... Hector? I guess I'd better not, Jim. (laughs) You know how it is. Uh, Doctor's orders. Oh, sure. Well, how about you, Doctor? Uh... (laughs) Thank you, no. One cup of coffee is quite sufficient. Well, I'm a two-cup man myself. You know, I was reading just the other day... Jim, it's not that we don't enjoy your informative little talks, but I was under the impression that this dinner had... Well, shall I say, a more or less definite purpose. Hmm? Oh, you mean... Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, I had a long talk with Heck before dinner... Jim, dear, I hate to interrupt, but uh, don't you think it would be a good idea if Bud took Kathy to the movies? In the middle of the week? I certainly do not. I... Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, Bud, uh, how'd you like to take Kathy to the movies? Oh, Bud! I wouldn't. I can't think of anything I'd rather do less. Well, that's fine. Here's a dollar. Have a good time. Oh, Dad, do I have to? Yes, you have to. That'll be enough of that, Kathy. But I'm surprised you ought to be glad to take your sister to the movies. I'd rather go with a gorilla. (laughs) You don't know what she's like. She never even looks at the picture. She sits around backwards and stares at the people. They're funnier. I like to look at their faces. All right, bud, get going and come home right after the show. If I'm still alive. Good night, everybody. Come on, Stuart. Hey, stop pulling me. Why do you always have to pull me? <laughs> Lovely children. They mean well, I think. Uh, Mother. Yes, Betty? Mother, Billy and I have been talking and... Billy, you tell them. Um... <laughs> uh, we, yeah. Uh... Would it be all right if we went to the movies? Oh, no. Oh, I should say not. We're here for a purpose, a very definite purpose. Yes, sir. We have a problem to discuss, and we're going to do it right now. Frankly, I think the whole thing is idiotic. Imagine discussing a ridiculous subject like marriage with these... these children. We're not children, Mother. We're quite adult. We have adult minds, adult bodies, adult passions, I said before, Hector and I had a long talk just a little while ago. Right, Heck? Right. And we're in complete agreement on the subject, right? Right. We both feel that 
Open discussion is the only sensible procedure in a matter of this sort, right? Right. Hector, stop being so agreeable. Right. I, I mean, yes, dear. Myron, Elizabeth, Hector and I have agreed on what we consider a very sound solution to the entire problem. We have decided to permit Betty and Bill to be married immediately. Jimmy! Holy cow! I've never heard anything so outrageous in my entire life. Hector, get your hat. William, we're leaving this instant. I'm not going, Mother. That's the... William! I'm 18, Mother. I've got a mind of my own. I love Betty, and we're going to be married. Well, I never... All right, now that's settled, you're going to be married. Oh, Mother, isn't it wonderful? I... I don't know. Yes, sir. Nothing like marriage and responsibility to set a man straight. Uh, Where do you kids figure on living? After you're married, I mean. Oh. Well, uh, we sort of figured we'd move in. Mother, couldn't Kathy move in with Bud? Then Billy and I could have... That's ridiculous, Betty. You've got to have a home of your own, a place for your roots to take hold and grow. Right, Heck? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, gosh, that'd be kind of expensive, huh? And on my allowance... Oh, uh, don't worry about your allowance, Billy. Married men don't go around taking allowances from their fathers. They don't. <laughs> of course not. They're too proud to be supported by their fathers. I'm not. <laughs> of course you are. You'll work, you'll sweat and slave, but you'll come home every week with a juicy pay envelope for your little wife. Isn't that sweet? But I I don't know how to do anything. That's not so. Poets make a living, and Mother, he writes the most beautiful poetry. I'm sure he does, dear. Billy, recite the one about my hair. It's just wonderful. (laughs) Oh, Betty. (laughs) Well, it is. Raven tresses on a lofty brow, swept by the winds of time. Isn't that beautiful? Well, you could get a small house uh, Poet size Say, Jim, I saw an apartment advertised the other day Be just right for the kids A uh, uh, hundred and a quarter a month, furnished Of course, that's without utilities You know, gas, electricity, telephone And food, don't forget food That's right, and laundry and cleaning Oh, they won't have to worry about that, Jim Don't you remember when we were first married I did all our laundry and cleaning and cooking I'm sure Betty will want to do at least that for Billy. Won't you, dear? I guess so. Uh, Betty. Yes, Billy? Could I talk to you for a minute? (laughs) Privately? Of course. Will you excuse us, please? We'll be right back. It's all right, kids. Take all the time you need. We're in no hurry. Are uh, are they gone? I think so. (laughs) Jim, we did it. Yes, sir. By golly, we did it. Oh, it was nothing, really. Jim, stop looking so smug. What was nothing? The psychological attack I planned for tonight. You see, I felt our wisest possible course, from a tactical standpoint, lay in a feint to their left flank and a drive through the middle. Do you follow me? Yes, dear. Right up to the part where you started to talk. (laughs) Margaret, the whole thing is elemental. Yes, and very clever. We pretend to give our consent. That's the feint. Believe me, I almost did. Then we hit them with both barrels. The cost of living, the struggle for existence. They retire in disorder. Their armored units are smashed. Their rear guard is demolished. What a fight. Dear, dear, the enemy is back. Hmm? Oh, uh, come on in, kids. Everything all settled? I think so, Father. Hmm, Pretty much settled, sort of. That's fine. Now, uh, what did you finally decide? You know very well what we were forced to decide. We have to wait. Why... 
Betty, I thought that you and Billy... Mr. Smith, you don't have to continue the ridiculous performance you and my father were putting on. Betty! Oh, Father, you can be so juvenile at times, really. A partner that's a hundred and a quarter a month. We know some kids have one for 45. You older people ought to get straightened out on the simple facts of life before you start fooling around with psychology. Jim, your mouth is open. Oh, well, uh, now see here, both of you kids... Just a moment, Jim. Betty, exactly what do you and Billy intend to do? Well, as long as our families are determined to exercise parental prerogatives... We'll just have to wait until we're financially self-sufficient. Right, Billy? Right. Well, I never... Well, Betty, how about how long do you figure it's going to take you and Billy to become uh, financially independent? Mm, a few years. Well, <laughs> that gives us a little time to look around for a wedding present, eh, Heck? Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Jim. A couple of years, it's a long time. A lot of things can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Hector, how about another cup of coffee? Oh, thank you, Margaret. I think I can use one. You know, Margaret, I'm very relieved. I'm so afraid of hasty marriages. Don't mind us, Mother. Just go on talking as if we weren't here. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. It's just that I was so afraid you were going to make the same mistake I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't exactly say you made a mistake, Elizabeth. Heck's a pretty nice guy. Yeah, well, thanks, Jim. Uh, you can send me a check in the morning. <laughs> I suppose I have been fairly fortunate. But, of course, people aren't always that lucky when they marry beneath them. I suppose not, but when they... What? Uh, uh, Elizabeth, we'd better go. It's, it's getting... Wait late. a minute, Hag. What was that crack you made, Elizabeth? Well, after all, my mother was a Stuyvesant, and I certainly... In other words, could... you think Betty isn't good enough for your son. I'm sure that isn't what Elizabeth meant, Jim. That's what she said. Well, isn't that what you said, Lizzie? <gasps> Don't you dare call me Lizzie! Why not? If you can say my daughter isn't good enough for that... Puny excuse of a son. Now, just a minute, Jim. Writing poetry. What makes you think he's such a bargain? My boy has a fine head on his shoulders. What shoulders? <laughs> I've seen better heads on a small beard. <laughs> that's so. Yes, that's so. This is what comes from slumming. Slumming? Now, you listen to me, Elizabeth Smith. Your mother may have been a Stuyvesant. But my father spent half his life picking your father out of the gutter. And he wasn't lying down just because he was tired. I think I'm going to faint. Hector, I'm going to faint. Go ahead, dear. I'll catch you. You ought to be ashamed upsetting my mother with your vulgar insinuations. Vulgar? Why, you little pipsqueak. If you were my son, I'd vulgar you so hard you wouldn't sit down for a week. Fortunately, I am not your son. Peasant? Peasant? Don't you dare call my father a peasant, Billy Smith. Don't you dare. Well, that's what he is. He is not. He certainly is. Well, I'd rather be a peasant than a pipsqueak. Don't you call me a pipsqueak. I will if I want to. Pipsqueak. Peasant? I never want to see you again as long as I live. Well, you won't if I can help You're it. You're just an actor. Hector. Uh, just a minute, dear. Say, Jim. I, uh, sorry I lost my temper, Heck. Oh, that's all right. Say, uh, Jim, that, uh, that thing about, uh... Hey, Jim, that, that uh, thing about picking Elizabeth's father out of the gutter, is, uh, is that true? Sure it's true. Why? <laughs> oh, oh, just wait till she pulls that Stuyvesant stuff on me again. Uh, well, <clears throat> uh, thanks for a lovely evening, folks. Uh, come on, Lizzie. <laughs>
Yes, dear. And, uh, Billy? Uh, yes, Father. Come on, Pipsqueak. <laughs> Well, we started with breakfast, and we might as well finish the same way. Let's drop in at the Hendersons at breakfast time the very next morning. The average children are still getting dressed. The average mother is racing around the kitchen. And the average father... Jim, where are you going? I got a rush, dear. Can't stop for breakfast. Just time to catch the bus. The bus? But I thought you Never said... mind what I said. Just tell Bud if he gets one scratch on that car, I'll brain him. <laughs> All right, dear. I'll be home at the usual time. Be a good girl. I'll try, dear. Oh, Jim? Yes? Uh, where did you leave the car keys? The keys? Oh, they're on the dresser. Uh, on top of Kathy's two bucks. Jim. Now what's the matter? Remind me to tell you, you're an angel. I'm a dope. You are not. I've got witnesses. Oh, well, why should I argue? After all, Father knows best. Members of our cast are Robert Young as Jim Henderson, June Whitley as Margaret Henderson, Rhoda Williams as Betty, Ted Donaldson as Bud, Norma Jean Nielsen as Catherine. Robert Young will soon be seen in RKO's Baltimore Escapade. Ted Donaldson may be seen in Warner Brothers' Decision of Christopher Blake. Others in tonight's cast were Virginia Gordon, Herb Vigran, and Sam Edwards. Music was written and conducted by Roy Bargain. Father Knows Best was conceived and written by Ed James. Entire production under the direction of Herb Sanford. Bill Foreman speaking. This is the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. The Challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. One King, one New Huskies. Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush with Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. Liz Terrett was an influence in Dawson City. She had inherited several enterprises from her husband, who had died the year before. Liz had taken over and was prospering. Now that summer had come, Liz had big shipments to make to Seattle, both of gold and of furs. Captain Davis of the Yukon Bell had docked at Dawson City after returning from the trip to Selkirk. He went to the Terrett Fur Trading Office to make the usual deal to carry Liz Terrett's shipments to Seattle. Howdy, Captain. I figured you'd be coming around sometime this afternoon. Have a chair. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. I suppose you've come about carrying our shipments this season. That's right. You saw the new river boat, the River Queen, that put up here yesterday, didn't you? <laughs> yep, sure did. 
It looks like I'm finally going to have some competition. Why, it seems to me you'd act a little more worried than you do, Captain. Oh, why should I? I've been giving good service to folks up this way ever since the gold rush started. Yukon Bell is a fine boat, even if the River Queen is newer. I reckon there's enough business for both of us anyhow. Uh, look, Captain, I had a visit from the skipper of the River Queen this morning. He's not going on to Selkirk. He's heading back to Seattle right from here. Sailing day after tomorrow. So are we. Bill Camden, the River Queen's skipper, says his boat is much faster. And what's more, Captain, he's offered to reduce the rates a bit to get our business. Now, wait a minute, Liz. We've been doing business since you and your husband started up here. You don't mean to say you'd change over and ship up on the River Queen? Oh, I might. I'm not in business for my health, you know. Well, doggone it, if you do that, others will do the same. Then it won't pay me to make the run up here. Oh, I know how you feel about now, it. Now, hold but... on, Liz. Now, hold on. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cut my rates to match Camden's. How's that? Well, now, that's something, of course. But one thing that's very important to me is something you can't match, Captain. Huh? What's that? I told you Bill Camden says his boat is much faster than yours. He hopes to beat you to Seattle by three or four days. That time means a lot to me. And he's lying. Nothing on the river, Yukon River can beat the Yukon Bell. Nothing. <laughs> now, 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 take it easy, Captain. Well, I just don't like anybody insulting the Yukon Bell, that's all. By thunder, if I had the chance, I'd show that Boston skipper of the River Queen that he'd take the smoke of my boat any time. <laughs> Say, that gives me an idea, Captain. Uh, if you really mean what you just said. Of course I mean it. I like dealing with you, and Bill Camden struck me as having a sneaky look about him that goes against the grain. Oh, then you're going to ship on the Yukon Bell after all? On one condition. What's that? If the River Queen skipper agrees, I suggest you race the Yukon Bell against the River Queen tomorrow. Uh, say at noon. What? Sure, think of the fun and excitement. And if you're so sure the Yukon Bell can beat the other boat, you can make yourself a few big wagers on the side. But what's the reason you want The to... first boat to reach the landing at Beavertown, ten miles from here, will get my business. And that means the shipping business of most others in town. Well, how about it? Do you think the Yukon Bell can win? Of course you can. By thunder, you tell Bill Camden I'll be ready and waiting with steam up at noon tomorrow if he's willing. If he backs down, Captain, I'll consider giving my business to your boat. Camden is coming back here later. I told him I wanted to talk to you before I made a decision. I'll put the proposition before him, and if he agrees, I'll come to the dock and tell you. Later that afternoon, in Skipper Bill Camden's cabin on board the River Queen, Bill was talking to his first mate, Larry Smith. Larry, uh, I just gave him Liz Terrett's office. Did you get the agreement for carrying her stuff? No, I thought cutting the rates would do the trick. But Captain Davis said he'd match our rates. Of course, the fact that I said we could make a faster run to Seattle almost went her over. Skipper, if we don't get some of the shipping from up this way, we won't last on the Yukon run. I'm not after just some of it. I want to get all of it. If Liz Terrett's shipped on our boat, the others will follow suit. You mean we've lost out to the Yukon Bell? Not yet. Liz likes Davis. She's giving him a chance. But the decision won't be made till tomorrow. What's she waiting for? She wants me to race the River Queen against the Yukon Bell. Starting here at noon tomorrow and finishing at Beavertown, ten miles from here. 
She says her business will go to winter. Of course you told her our boat was faster, but you really think we can beat Davis in a race? He's been a riverboat skipper for years, and he knows all the tricks. Larry, we're going to win that race one way or another. What's more, we stand to make some cash on bets. But how can you be sure of winning, Skipper? Buck, as you know, in the boiler room below decks, each boiler has a steam escape valve on top. Mm-hmm. Keep the pressure from getting too high. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, those valves are adjustable. If someone should happen to tighten the nut on one of them so the steam couldn't escape, the boiler would finally blow up, wouldn't it? Sure, but now, if that happened you... on the Yukon Bell... We'd win the race. Yeah, but some of the men below decks would be scalded. In fact, it might blow the side right out of the boat. Could be. But we got to win that race, Larry. How would you get anyone to tighten that valve down? Nobody could get into the boiler room to do it. I know somebody who could and would. Who? Captain Davis fired one of his boiler room crew right after the boat docked. He gave the fellow until tonight to get his gear out of his locker. He's a tough guy named Butch Miller. He's plenty sore at the captain. I was swearing he'd like to get even with him sometime. I heard him raving about in the cafe earlier today. Of course, he just said that to me private-like when he asked me to take him on. Did he say he'd do what you wanted him to do? No, I didn't know about the race then. I'll go up town and find Butch tonight. I'll put it up to him to fix that valve when he goes aboard to get the stuff in his locker. And I'll make it worth his while. As soon as you know for sure, I'll start making some bets. <laughs> That's a good plan, Skipper. We ought to win a lot of cash, and what's more, end up with a lot of business. It was still early evening when Sergeant Preston stopped in front of Northwest Mounted Police Headquarters. Oh, buggy. Oh, boy. Come along, King. Hi, Sergeant. Where you been keeping yourself? Liz Turret, hello. Well, I've been on a patrol of 40 miles. King and I just arrived in Dawson. You got back just in time for all the excitement. What excitement? The big riverboat race at noon tomorrow. The Yukon Bell is going to race the new boat, River Queen. I noticed the new boat tied up alongside the bell. What's the occasion for the race? Well, I, I reckon you can sort of blame me for that, Sergeant. You see, I'm giving my business to the one that wins. I see. I'll be fighting for fairly high stakes, then, if your business goes to the new boat. The other shippers will follow. I reckon that's true, but that's not the only stake. I hear everybody at the cafe is wagering practically all they have on the race. Of course, I'm hoping Captain Davis's boat wins, but I'm too smart to bet. Does the Yukon Bell seem to be the favorite? From what I heard, the skipper and crew of the River Queen bet plenty that they'll win. Huh? In fact, I hear Skipper Bill Camden mortgage the River Queen to the hilt to raise more betting cash. Well, he seems to be sure his boat will win. Yep, that's right. Might, too. Should be an exciting race. Where's the finish line? At the landing at Beavertown. I'll have to be on hand to see it. I'm riding the Yukon Bell. Say, why don't you come along, Sergeant? I might at that. I'll tell the captain to expect you. You can even bring King with you, huh, fella? Are both boats going to carry passengers? Well, they agreed only to take on ten apiece. <laughs> Skipper Bill is charging high prices for his ten, but the captain is carrying ten of us for free. I'll expect to see you come aboard the Yukon Bell to help us cheer if it wins. See you in the morning, Sergeant. Meantime, Skipper Bill and his mate Larry Smith sat in the cafe at a secluded table, 
talking to Butch Miller, the hand who had been discharged from the Yukon Bell. Now, Butch, you got everything straight about what you're to do when you go board Davis's boat for your gear tonight. Yeah, yeah, I know just what to do. Are you sure no one will question you being in the boiler room? No one's aboard right now but the night watch. He knows I'm to go there to get my stuff. The others are all uptown here. Well, I don't want any hitching. There's... I bet my last dollar on the River Queen winning. Well, you just keep your end of the bargain, Skipper, and you can count on winning that race tomorrow. I've already paid you a hundred dollars. You go through with it, we win. You'll get another hundred and a job on my boat. And be sure you don't go shooting off your mouth to somebody, Butch. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I've already bet the hundred the Skipper give me on the River Queen to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that proves you're sure you can go through with the plan. Yeah, it? I'm satisfied you will. Now let's get out of here now, Captain. Butch will be going aboard the Yukon Bell soon. Yeah, I'll wait a while. Then when it's done, I'll come up to your cabin, Skipper, and tell you. Good. We'll be waiting. So long, Butch. Let's get going, Larry. Later that night, Sergeant Preston decided to stroll along the waterfront and look over the two boats. Taking King with him, he left his quarters and walked toward the shadowy, deserted docks. Well, King... There are the river boats that will compete in the race tomorrow. The River Queen's a newer boat, but the Yukon Bell's well built. She's the one we'll sail on, fella. Think you'll like that? As the Bounty and his dog approached the dock, Sergeant Preston suddenly stopped. Wait, boy. He drew back in the shadows as he saw a furtive figure come down the gangplank of the Yukon Bell with a canvas bag slung over his shoulder. Well, must be one of the deckhands. As Sergeant Preston stood watching, the man's figure stopped on the dock, looked around suspiciously. Then, seemingly satisfied, he quickly walked to the gangplank of the River Queen and went aboard. That's strange. I'd like to know more about him, fellow. Probably hasn't done anything wrong in going from one boat to the other, but he might as well check with a night watch on the Yukon Dome. Come on, King, we'll try to find out just what's going on. Sergeant Preston strolled up the gangplank of the Yukon Bell and was met by the man doing the night watch. Who's that coming aboard? You better wait right... Oh, a Mountie. Yes, I'm Sergeant Preston. Evening, Sergeant. If you're looking for the captain, he's going ashore. In fact, is most everyone's ashore tonight. I didn't come aboard to see the captain. I came to check on a man I saw leaving this boat a moment ago. Oh, yeah, that's a hand the captain fired today. He came aboard to get his stuff from his locker. Name's Butch Miller. Oh, I see. It's all right, then. He acted a little odd when he got on the dock, so I decided to check on him. I checked him aboard, Sergeant. Believe me, he's good a riddance, too. Well, I was a heavy drinker on the job, and he was always causing trouble. Oh, his new skipper will be in for trouble, then. <laughs> he won't get a berth on any other riverboat. No other skipper would take him, especially out of Dawson City. Butch Miller's reputation is well known around this town by now. Oh, that's strange. He looked around when he reached the dock as though he didn't want to be seen, then went aboard the River Queen. Went aboard the River Queen? That's right. I can't figure that. Captain Davis notified Skipper Bill Cameron about Miller today. I see. Well, thanks for the information. Come on, King. We'll go on back to quarters. Meantime, on board the River Queen in the Skipper's cabin, Butch Miller was reporting to Bill Camden. Well, Skipper, it's all done. Now all you have to do is wait till tomorrow. You are below decks alone, Butch? Yes, sir. Tighten that valve down so it won't work. 
It won't be noticed till the steam pressure gets so high it'll be too late to loosen it and time to keep the boiler from blowing up. <laughs> and when that happens, the Yukon Bell will be out of the race. Yeah, eh? It could be more than that. The explosion might blow a hole that'll sink the boat, or it might start a fire that'll burn it to the water's edge. <laughs> It'll teach that ornery Captain Davis to throw me off his rotten tub. Hey, hold on. Something like that's liable to happen. Liz might be killed. And winning the race wouldn't do us any good. Don't you worry. You'll have the only river packet that can carry passengers and freight to Seattle. What's more, you'll make plenty on your bets. Should have thought of what might happen. Huh? I don't like the idea that Liz might get killed. But she refused to sail on our boat. And, if you say... If the Yukon Bell is totally out of commission, <laughs> we'll get all the trade. Yeah. Now, uh, there's one thing, Skipper, that I want to bring up. What's that? I want more cash right now. Huh? And the promise of more later. Now, see here, Butch. I'm giving you a job on this boat, along with Sit some Sit down, cash. Skipper. Sit down and take it easy. Look, if I was to tell what I know to the Mounties now, you'd stand to lose the race and come in for some uncomfortable questioning. You fool, you go to jail for fixing that valve. I'd go back and loosen it before I told him. <laughs> of course, if I told him after the boiler blew, I might go to jail, but you'd go with me. And maybe for murder. Why, you... Now, look, take it easy. Didn't say I would tell. I'm just pointing out what could happen if I did. You stand to gain plenty, and I want to get some of it. Well, all right. Before we start the race, I'll give you more cash. And I'll give you 10% of what I win. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll be first mate on the river, Queen, huh? <laughs> Who knows? Take your gear below, Butch. I'll see you in the morning. All right. I'll leave my stuff and go uptown to the cafe for a while. See you in the morning, Skipper. After Butch Miller left the River Queen to go to the cafe, Skipper Bill Camden went to Larry Smith, his first mate, in his cabin. Larry, I got something important to talk over. What is it, Skipper? We got to do something about Butch Miller. Why? What's happened? He fixed a valve on the Yukon Bell tonight. Now he threatens to do some talking if I don't pay plenty. Uh, I never thought of that. He could blackmail us from now on. Yeah. And one of the things he wants is your job as first mate, Larry. What? You mean you're going to get I didn't say that. But remember, after the race is over, and Yukon Bell disabled, he can force us to do most anything. Unless... Uh, unless what? Unless something happens to Butch Miller. That's one way you can make sure he doesn't get your job. Ah... I see what you mean. Look, Butch is at the cafe right now. If you watch till he heads back here at the boat, you'll have a chance. Maybe he won't come back alone. Oh, yes, he will. None of the other men are friendly to Butch. I suggest you get him in the dark and sock him with your gun, Buck. I'll wait and watch him up on deck. Give me a signal, then I'll have to carry him to the old fisherman's shack up beyond the docks. What good will that do? I mean, why keep him alive in the shack? When he comes we'll to... We'll tie him up. And after the race, if we win, and Yukon Bell blows up, we'll finish him off. But if nothing happens, we win anyhow. Can't bother us. But if we lose on account of the boiler not blowing, 
Butchel wish he was dead several times over before we get through with him. Uh, that's a good idea. No use having a killing on our hands unless things happen the way they're supposed to. I'll go watch for Butch right now. After I let him have it, I'll give a low whistle. Then you come help. It was well after midnight when Butch Miller left the cafe and made his way toward the docks. He was alone and moved with slow, unsteady steps into the shadows near the docks. I'll show him Butch Miller ain't no fool. I'll get plenty from them, too. Plenty. Hey, who's that? What do you want? This will keep you quiet, Miller. No! That did it. I better signal the skipper now. Butch Miller wakes up, he'll be plenty surprised. The following morning, about an hour before the starting time of the race, the whole town was in a state of excitement. People lined the banks of the river for miles, and small craft drifted offshore, waiting to follow in the wake of the two river packets. As Sergeant Preston, with King at his side, went up the gangplank of the Yukon Bell, the sailor, who had been on night watch, came along just behind him. The sailor spoke. Morning, Sergeant. I was on night watch when you came aboard last night, remember? Yes. You must have been wrong about seeing Butch Miller on board the River Queen last night. Oh? Why do you say that? Well, because I just came from over there. You see, a fella came from the cafe this morning bringing Butch Miller's cap, which he left behind. He gave it to one of the deckhands. Well? I told Captain Davis about what you said, that Miller went aboard the River Queen. He told me to take the cap over and leave it for him. Is that the cap you have in your hand? Mm Mm-hmm. Has Butch's name penciled inside it. Why didn't you leave it? Well, a man over there on the River Queen said Butch isn't aboard. What's more, they said his duffel bag isn't below decks. In other words, he's not a part of the crew and nobody's seen him. But I saw him go aboard. Yeah, yeah, so you said. I thought maybe he went to ask for a job and got turned down. That'd account for his stuff not being aboard. But I asked Smith, the first mate, and... He said he didn't know anything about Miller and didn't see him last night. Skipper said the same thing. That's odd. You give me Miller's cap, I'll go ashore and see if I can locate him. Sure, Sergeant. But don't stay too long or you'll miss the race. I'll get back in time. Now, here's a cap. Thanks. Come on, King. Go to the cafe and try to locate Butch Miller. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sergeant Preston went to the cafe and made inquiries about Butch Miller learning that he had left the cafe late the night before, going out the back door. Preston left the cafe and, taking King around to the back, held out Butch's cap. Here, King. Get the scent from this fella. Find him, King. Find him. The intelligent dog stood for a moment, and then, sniffing the ground near the back door of the cafe, he stopped and barked to indicate he had found the scent. All right, fella, go find him. The trail King was following led back toward the docks. The crowds along the waterfront confused him somewhat. Finally, because of his intensive training and keen sense of smell, the great dog made his way to the shack where Butch had been taken. Sergeant Preston pushed open the door of the shack and entered with King. Oh, someone's over there on the bunk. Man, tied and gagged. Take it easy, I'll take away your gag and untie you. There. They did it. Look, I've been here all night. Wait, I'll cut your cords. There. I can set up. Yeah. Listen, they talked. They didn't think I came to yet. 
They plan to kill me, that's what. Who does? What's this all about? I'll fix them, though. I'll tell you, Sergeant. It's a skipper and mate of the River Queen. Huh? They paid me to tighten a valve on one of the boilers, the Yukon Bell. It'll blow up and the River Queen will win the race. So that's it. Yeah. You're coming with me. We've got to release that valve before the boats start. The boats, they're already leaving the docks. Yeah, it's too late now. Hold out your arms. What for? Hold them out. All right. These handcuffs will keep you out of trouble. I'm leaving you here with King to watch you. Stay here, King. Watch him, boy. I'll come back for you, Miller. Right now, I have to get to the Yukon Bell. Sergeant Preston ran to the dock where the Yukon Bell had been moored. Both river boats were already heading into midstream. And because of the noisy crowd, it was useless to shout. Preston looked around frantically for a few moments. Then he saw a small motorboat about to leave. He ran along the dock calling out... Wait! Hold that boat! You want to come aboard, Sergeant? Hurry up or we'll miss the finish. I'm coming aboard right now. Now listen, it's a matter of life or death. Get me to the Yukon Bell and hurry. Do the best they can, Sergeant. Here we go! On board the Yukon Bell, Liz Tarrant stood beside the captain on the bridge. Her face was flushed with excitement as the two boats moved along side by side. Hey, by thunder, Captain, this sure is exciting. Sorry Sergeant Preston didn't make it. He's really missing something. Don't know why he isn't here. Saw him heading for the boat some time ago. Then when I come to look for him, he wasn't aboard. Here's hoping you can get up speed enough to beat Camden. Well, we're not up to full speed yet, Liz. Mm. Boys below are getting up plenty of steam, and soon I'll give the signal for full speed ahead. Some of them small craft better stay back or they'll be swarmed. Yeah, say, look, there's someone coming like blazes. Say, if he gets much closer, he'll ram into us. Better give him a warning whistle. <laughs> They're plumb loco. Don't pay any attention. Say, look, one of them standing up, waving. Give him a telescope. <laughs> hey, that's Sergeant Preston. I can see his red mounted jacket. He's crazy to think you'll slow down for him to come aboard now. Preston isn't a man who does crazy things, Liz. I got a feeling something's wrong. What? I'm slowing for him. No, no, don't do it, you fool. You'll lose the race. I'll take the chance. Now we're losing speed. And the River Queen is forging ahead. Maybe so. But I'm taking Preston aboard to find out what's happened. Get in line over that. A rope ladder was quickly thrown over the side, and as the big boat slowed, the motorboat carrying Preston came alongside. In a few moments, the Mountie had climbed aboard. I was afraid I wouldn't make it. I came down from the bridge to see why you waved us down, Sergeant. The captain is waiting up there for you. Tell him I have something to do, and it has to be done quickly. Oh, all right, Sergeant. As Sergeant Preston made his way down into the engine room of the boat, he heard one of the stokers shout. Hey, look at the gauge on boiler two. It's going to blow any minute. Let's get out of here. Wait. That valve has to be loosened. Now we're getting out. A wrench. Where's a wrench? It's hanging next to the boiler. Come out of there, Sergeant. Not heeding the stoker's warning, Preston rushed over and got the wrench. Then he went to work on the escape valve of the boiler. He could see that the pressure gauge already indicated great danger, but he knew lives might be at stake. Have to get it loose. Have to. For a chance, nobody worked while the stokers huddled across the engine room near the companionway to the deck. Finally, the nut loosened, and Preston fell back as a great rush of steam hissed from the escape valve. Hey, the sergeant fixed the valve, but he must be gone. Yeah, you got to get him up on deck. I'm all right. I threw myself to the deck and buried my face in my arms. My arms scalded, but it isn't serious. 
I'll signal the captain full speed ahead. Tell him I said so. Right away, Sergeant. Sergeant Preston's message was given through the hollow signal tube. And a short time later, the Mountie went to the bridge where the captain and Liz were waiting. He told what he'd learned. By thunder, it might have sunk the boat with all hands on board. Win the race now, Captain. Later, Sergeant Preston will settle with Skipper Camden and his mate. You just win the race and make him lose everything he has. Go to it, Captain. Full speed ahead. All right, Sergeant. Here we go. Full speed ahead. Slowly but surely, the Yukon Bell moved up on the River Queen. For a short time, they ran neck and neck. And then the Yukon Bell crept ahead until at the finish line, she won by a full length. The riverboats docked at Beavertown. Then Sergeant Preston went to the shack and got Butch Miller, who had been guarded during the race by the great dog Yukon King. Then, taking Butch with him, he picked up Liz and the captain, and all of them boarded the River Queen. They entered the skipper's cabin, where Skipper Camden was talking to the mate, Larry Smith. Preston opened the cabin door and entered without knocking. Well, looks like you couldn't wait to crow over me, huh, Captain? Let me tell you. Hey, what are you bringing Butch Miller here for? Why the handcuffs on him? You ought to know, Camden. And if you think I'm going to take the rap for everything, let you and Larry Smith get away with it... Shut up! I don't know what you're talking about. Neither do I. Stop the act, Camden. I'm arresting you and your mate in the name of the Crown for felonious assault on the person of Butch Miller and for trying to wreck the Yukon Queen. Now, see Do your talking at headquarters. Good work, Sergeant Preston. Well, Captain Davis, you won the race. I'll take these men to headquarters now. This case is closed. We now take you to Northwest Mounted Police Headquarters in Dawson. You sent for me, Inspector? Yes, Sergeant. Have you ever heard of a man called Solitaire Jackson? Yes, sir. He's an American gunman who just got out of prison. From what they say, he came up to the Yukon to get even with the man who framed him. Apparently, that's not the only reason he came up here. Man answering his description has just robbed the express office and shot the constable on guard. I want you to find him, Sergeant, and bring him in. Right, sir. Let's go, King. <laughs> Solitaire Jackson has a dangerous reputation. But why should he rob the express office if his real motive is to get revenge on the man who framed him? Perhaps there's more to this case than the inspector realizes. More mystery, more criminals involved, and more danger for Sergeant Preston. Be sure to listen to this exciting adventure, The Diamond Solitaire, Wednesday. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created by George W. Trendle, produced by Trendle Campbell Enterprises, directed by Fred Flowerday, and supervised by Charles D. Livingston. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio. This is J. Michael wishing you goodbye and good luck. <laughs>